it was 2005, 2006, when I got a call from Eddie Q, who was a pretty big man on campus there now. Yeah. And he said, uh, do you want to meet with Steve Jobs? I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> so I went, he was at D, the D3 conference. I went, I had an hour, just him and me. It was really incredible. And he was very personable. Of course, he wanted something from me. He wanted me to, to bless podcasting in iTunes, which he asked me. I said, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'll give you the directory that we have to get it started. And that day he announced uh, podcasting in iTunes. Welcome back to Buzzcast. I am Kevin. Today I've got Tom with me. Travis is helping us on the producer end, and we've got a very special guest today. It is Adam Curry, the podfather of podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us, Adam. It's a great pleasure, and uh, I was actually very excited. I, I had not seen the uh, the podcast you guys do. Uh, I did see it. Where did it show up? It showed up somewhere like, oh, okay, they got they do a podcast for their customers. That's kind of cool. So I did see it, but I hadn't I hadn't actually checked into it yet. Yeah, we use it for a lot of example stuff. So you'll see as we're adopting new tags and stuff and working with the podcast index, kind of the first feed that we always hit stuff on is this one, mm -hmm. which, you know, for better or worse, sometimes we mess up our stuff. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling, believe me. I know the feeling. I've messed yeah. up plenty of feed. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people who listen to our show and a lot of people who are Buzzsprout customers love podcasting, but they're relatively new to it. So they don't necessarily know the whole 25, has it been 25 years or 20 year history? I don't even know. I'm old, Kevin. I'm old. It's been about 15 years. 15 year history of podcasting. And so I I'm sure you've told this story a million times, but would you mind telling it again? Maybe the... Uh, the high-level overview version of the history of podcasting. How did you get started? How did this whole space come to an, into existence? Okay. I was living in Amsterdam. I, I, I grew up in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and then moved, to, I moved back to the States. I'm American, moved back to the States, uh, and eventually wound up uh, doing MTV, et cetera. And then I started uh, uh, one of the first uh, internet advertising companies called Think New. It was on-ramp, and then uh, we took it public, and it was Think New Ideas. Um, and after a, you know, a couple of year run on that, it was time for me to leave. I was just sitting around in suits all day and that was fun to take a company public. That was really a lot of fun. Uh, but I was kind of like, okay, I got to find something else to do. Um, and so, uh, my daughter had been born in New Jersey. My wife was, uh, my wife then at the time was, uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, so we decided to move back and see what was going on. And in the Netherlands, you know, they are uh, one of the first countries to really have cable to every single household for cable television. So they were a testbed for a lot of media experiments. And because they had this infrastructure, they got cable modems very early on. So in 99, everyone kind of had a cable modem. And this was a revolution because we had always on internet. Not that it was fast. No, no, no. But you didn't have to dial up. So no more for anyone who remembers that. You didn't have to dial up. It was always on. But it was slow. And there was really, you know, the computers were kind of ready for a multimedia type experience, but the bandwidth wasn't there. So we had real audio and real video and, you know, nothing was really great. And certainly if you hit an MP3 or a quick time, then, you know, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd click on it, you wait 10 minutes and then you, you know, make a cup of coffee, come back. Okay, it's done. Play it. So I thought, why not have some kind of system? And this is in 2000. Why not have some kind of system that knows what I'm looking for when it sees something new, then downloads it, but doesn't tell me until it's there. So then you're just kind of removing that 
that wait time, you're just shifting it away to some other space that, you know, what I don't know, I can't hurt me, I guess. And I had this idea, was walking around with, I call it the, the last yard. I wrote a, a piece on a blog post on it. And at the time, Dave Weiner was uh, um, really building out RSS. He had Radio Userland, which is a kind of a cool app that worked as a server on your, on your, la- on your local computer. Uh, so you, the interface was done completely through a, a web browser just to, talking to the local server. And it was a blogging tool, or one of the, the first, I think, or the earliest blogging tools. And it also had an RSS aggregator in it. And it, funny enough, it was called Radio Userland, which is like, oh, okay. So I, my, I've been a radio guy all my life, so I kind of had that radio idea. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if just like with what RSS does, where it, it cap, you know, captures kind of the stories, you go back and read them later. Well, if we could put a, an attachment a file attachment that would download and then it would be ready for playing. And I, and I actually went to New York and uh, met with Dave and he, I think he, at the first meeting he was like, eh, this VJ guy, whatever. But I was pretty <laughs> persistent, came back the next day and showed him in his software, my idea. Um, and he uh, ultimately said, okay, I'll implement this, but under one condition, you never ever use my software again. Cause that was horrible. What you showed me. So, okay, that's fine. I'll, that's good. And thus <laughs> the, the enclosure element of RSS was born. And this kind of meandered along. We were using it between each other, sending a hundred megabyte file, which at the time was crazy big. Uh, and then, you know, the next morning I'd wake up cause I was still, you know, in a time zone and, uh, oh, there's, it can play. And I played the video and it was okay, but it didn't really catch any traction for it. It's just, it, it solved a problem that wasn't quite there yet. At least I didn't know it was there until I saw my first iPod. And that's when I went, oh, radio. Because the first iPod was that white thing with the dial. It looked so much like the Sony transistor radio my grandmother gave me when I was a kid, which I listened to the basketball games under my pillow when I was six or seven years old. And, you know, just, it was, it, it right there. I was like, oh, that, no, it's not a jukebox. That's a, a radio receiver. And I, then I put the two pieces together and said, well, why don't we find uh, an mp3 file that's attached to an rss feed and then take that out download it and i actually built this in apple script which is take someone who's really a developer and take apple script you got like you know you got like a mess on your hands but i was able to make it work and so it would look for one feed look for a new enclosure download it to the to itunes at the time because you still had to sync your uh, your ipod it would trigger the sync and then you pick it up and it'd be right there. I would say a playlist was created. That was the name of the show. And then the episode and podcasting was born. And I immediately started doing a show uh, called the daily source code because I knew that we needed radios. We, we needed radios on the other side, which really uh, today has become the podcast app that you use to listen to shows very analogous to what we're doing now, I would talk about the developers who were working on these pod catchers, as we called them. And we learned a lot of things. I mean, it was just crazy stuff. You know, uh, when you have a, a very minimal modem connection and you subscribe to a feed and it starts to download 50 episodes of something, this is not a good. So these are all things that we learned in the very early days. And it kind of, kind of grew. And then there was, yeah, it was just like a wave of, of stuff started to happen. I think it was the BBC came to interview me. And then it was off to the races and everyone was calling. I was like, oh, what is going on here? And it was 2006, I think, 2005, 2006, when I got a call from Steve Jobs. And he said, uh, well, actually it was Eddie Q, who was 
pretty big man on campus there now. Yeah. And he said, uh, do you want to meet with Steve Jobs? I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I went, he was at D, the D3 conference. I went, I had an hour, just him and me. It was really incredible. And he was very personable. Of course, he wanted something from me. He wanted me to, to bless podcasting in iTunes, which he asked me. I said, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'll give you the directory that we have to get it started. And that day he announced uh, podcasting in uh, uh, in iTunes. It's a pretty funny video because, you know, he plays a stick piece of my show where I'm ragging on my Mac. And so he knew exactly what he was doing. Total show guy. So you had a directory of podcasts before Apple. Yeah, it was called iPodder.org for a whole bunch of reasons. And it was really a, um, it was kind of a fun way of doing it. It was a distributed directory based on OPML. So you know how you kind of, feeds in an OPML file. So we use the include tag. So I had like the top level and did it by geography and you clicked on Europe and then it would open up and there would be, you know, the, the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and we had different people in each country maintaining what podcast they were finding and what was out there. So overnight I could have my, my software walk this tree and say, Oh, pop, here's new stuff that we found from somewhere all over the world. Um, granted when Apple launched, um, the directory was disappointing because it highlighted NPR, PBS, you know, and, mm. and I will say, uh, Tony Khan, WGBH in Boston. I mean, he was early, early on. He was a big believer. He, he dragged NPR into podcasting by the scruff of their neck. Um, and it was good programming, of course, but it wasn't quite the, the free feel and people experimenting uh, that we'd seen in these podcasts that, you know, we didn't have any of this equipment. We didn't have cool things to connect to each other. We, um, we barely had Skype, I think just yet. Yeah, it was we just about had Skype, maybe not even. Was there any resistance from the old media like radio or anybody else? Did they, did they see this as a, as a threat or did they just see it as a side project as something totally irrelevant to what they were doing? You know, very similar to um, when I was at MTV in the 80s and very early 90s, I had registered MTV.com um, because I, you know, this is before the web. This was, I, I had a Gopher server. I mean, I was running a Gopher server and I had Adam at MTV.com email address. And I was using it on the air and I went to the, to the legal department and I said, the Van Toffler, who now I think is the uh, CEO of the network. Uh, and I said, um, Hey man, I got this MTV.com. It's just me. I'm just using it for me. Is that okay? And his answer was, it's fine. We've got the AOL keyword. We're not worried about this <laughs> internet thing. That's where it's at, the AOL keyword. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the vibe from the radio guys, you know, but also this was around the time blogging was starting. So people were, you know, poo-pooing blogging. On the one hand, it was great. On the other hand, who? Why do we have to know what you have to say about yourself? I mean, of course, now Twitter is Twitter, yeah, is exactly what that has become. And so, yeah, you know, I started a company. I started a, a podcast network, which I found is not a good idea. You can't really monetize the network. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, but what, what is interesting as a side note, because podcasting has been around for a long time, but it really the resurgence came with Serial, and that was you know came at a great time in entertainment history because people had really gotten into binge watching thanks to Netflix, et cetera. And so here was something that was episodic. You wanted to know what the next episode was, but you couldn't have it. And that was freaking people out. Oh, I got to wait a whole week. Now you could come in later and catch up and you can catch up to where, you know, where it was, which was also new, 
but this episodic idea that really caught storm. But we were doing we were doing all kinds of great things with podcasting until, and I had uh, a pod show in uh, San Francisco. We had a competitor coming up, and and we had heard about this competitor, and they had a whole flash interface, and it was called Audio. And we were just waiting for this thing to launch, and they never launched, and like it never happened. It was really strange, but they they launched something else, and it was a weird kind of service. And the one thing we always struggled with, certainly in the beginning, was explaining subscribing to a podcast that immediately made people think it's costing me money. It's like a magazine subscription. And they had something they called Follow, which I thought was a genius idea. Now you have to know that Odeo had pivoted and became Twitter. So they took basically the underpinnings of podcasting with you know RSS and changed the subscribe to Follow, and it just took off and it went crazy. And then you know Facebook was coming on the scene, then YouTube came on the scene. So you know podcasting was a very very slow grower throughout those years when everything was basically, oh my God, look at Twitter, look at uh, the Twitter fail whale was bigger news than, uh, than anything in podcasting. It was just, you know, it was, it was a thing. So it took quite a backseat for a number of years. I think the iPhone had to play a big part in it too. When the iPhone came out, having the podcast app and just people having access to that kind of bandwidth on their phone to listen. So you didn't have to you know, download it on your computer and listen on a computer, but you're listening right there on your phone. Like that, that made a big difference in podcasting. Right. And so this is where I made a mistake uh, or where I, st- I didn't realize my mistake, but once you have the, uh, cause I, you know, we didn't have the smartphone. We were thinking MP3 players, iPods, you know, and that was kind of your, your radio, but with the iPhone, it switched. Now the app became the radio. And I'd never have to, I'd never had to worry about radios throughout my entire career. I needed a transmitter, I needed a microphone, and I could do my thing. Radios have always been there. You know, you can, you get radios free in the mail. Uh, you know, weather radio, wind it up. It's, the radios are everywhere. And they have no inherent value. And no one's really put any, any development into radios. You know, it's like, yeah, we went from AM to FM. Uh, we have digital, we have you know, some like in, in Europe, mainly RDS. So you can get some information flowing through to your, to your receiver, no real innovation. And when it comes to podcasting, it truly is just the app and the app developers, uh, of which there many have come and gone and some are doing strong and most are struggling have never been part of any value flow. (laughs) There's, There's no money running from an advertiser or a listener or anybody through an app developer. So the radios are drying up. And what happens is you get some couple of big ogres and they say, boom, we're Spotify. Here's our radio. And Apple, although they have been fantastic stewards of podcasting and have been very fair and allowing complete access to their, uh, well, not complete, but enough access to their database, um, they became the de-, de facto standard uh, on the way in, which we don't know anything about. We don't know how many things get rejected. And once it's there, um, love it or hate it, Alex Jones has a right to say what he wants to say. And if that, and I understand that might be a problem for, for Apple and, and their customer base. That's okay. But that's when I said, okay, I'm going to take it back now. I'm going to take the directory back and we're going to put it in an independent place so I really had two missions. One is realizing that 
Um, you just can't have an entity that has any other business line than being the, the, the index. You can't have any other business. It has to be, that's its job. It can't be stewarded or shepherded by anybody who has anything else. Certainly not when it comes to advertising, because I'll make my speech short. Advertising is censorship. That's just how, that's how it works. I've been in commercial radio and television for a long time. Uh, there's stuff you can and can't say when there's advertising at play. That's just the bottom line. Um, so in order to preserve podcasting as a platform for free speech, we needed an independent index. And wow, when it comes to the actual act of free speech, it doesn't get any better than podcasting. That's what we do. <laughs> it is the true nature of free speech distributed globally. That has to be protected. And having done my own show for you know, coming up on our 13th anniversary with no agenda, we have developed the value for value model, which proves that if you ask people to support something, they will. If you make it frictionless enough, or if you give them a reason to, it's more a reason than anything, people will support it. So I had no doubt that we could start podcastindex.org with support from the community. Thank you very much to very generous uh, support we've seen from, uh, from Buzzsprout. And I think that we're kind of succeeding in that mission while there's been this, so just as a, as a sidetrack to this, because of the structure of Apple mainly, there's never been a capability for innovation. Everybody has ideas. Everybody knows what they want. A lot of them agree. Some things overlap. Some things, I don't think there's anything where people actually hate an idea so much they wouldn't want to see that as an expansion of podcasting. But everyone was kind of waiting around for the big dog, Apple, to say, okay, we'll join in, we'll do it. And then as we progressed, Google came along, and then Spotify, and iHeartRadio bought, uh, bought Stitcher, I think, or, or gosh, maybe that's Sirius XM, and they're all building these little silos. So whereas my core problem is I need to incentivize guys who know how to make radios into making the next generation of radio, what is the next podcast experience from a listener or viewer standpoint? Can I back you up real quick? Yeah. Um, you mentioned just briefly the, the idea that Apple, who have been great stewards to the podcast community, they have provided access, and as you said, not total access, but enough access to their directory. Mm -hmm. Now you're starting the podcast index. Can you go into a little bit more of the why that's important? I feel like that is, is critical for all of us as podcasters and podcast fans to understand uh, the amount of power that Apple had in being the default directory for almost every third-party podcasting app, right? Sure. As it turns out, making a podcast app is hard work. It's not just a, a, a nice little you know, player thingy and a list thingy and a click here thingy and subscribe and ooh, it's all great. And then I can focus on features like 1.12 speed, 1.5 speed, fast forward, you know, all these different things. You actually have to do a lot of work in the background. Even if you're working off of Apple's system, there's still a lot of work to get it the way you want to build your app, your, your radio receiver. And so most of the uh, smaller podcast apps were all tying into Apple's database because you it really takes a lot of uh, horsepower and, and hands-on management to keep uh, a million and a half 
podcast feed sorted, you know, updated and just, you know, that it's, it's much bigger than it seems. It's not unmanageable. It's not Google level stuff, but it is, it's quite a bit for an independent developer who has to have, you know, many machines running databases, etc. So with that in place, when Apple removed a podcast that went like dominoes all the way down the line, it's like, Oh, now you can't get that podcast on any of these apps or most of them. All right. And that's a problem that it's, that's the, it's like, you have a transmitter, but someone's deflecting the, the beam, you know, and that is the reason why podcasting has not been super successful with advertising the way YouTube has is because it's distributed, because it doesn't belong to one single company. And, and it, it's in my mind, when that ha- when I, my friend Joe Rogan went to Spotify, so it's a part of the story, mm-hmm. because I know that that's going to, you know, Spotify is paying to, for him to take his audience over to Spotify. And hopefully uh, what they hope is that they will then uh, change their podcast listening behavior to using Spotify because they believe that almost everything is on Spotify and quite a lot is not everything, but quite a lot that leaves a vacuum, a super vacuum for people who have, who make podcast apps because now one of the reasons that eight or 10 million people had to use their app to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast just went away to the competition, one step over on your screen. And that's Spotify. That's, that sucks. So I need to, first of all, ensure that the next five Joe Rogans who are outside of the Spotify place and they're already born, Joe said it himself, they're here today, that they have the same reach that they can have the same great um, reach amongst audiences and also independent apps, just podcast apps that uh, people love their podcast apps. They get very wedded to them and that we don't wind up in a scenario where if you want to listen to the shows you like to listen to, that it's like the television experience, which I think is already an outdated model. And that's, uh, well, I go to Netflix for this. I had Hulu for this. I got uh, Amazon for this. I got Disney plus for that. I got or Disney for that. I got Apple plus for this. And then at the end of the day, you wake up, you go, I, I got $250 worth of subscriptions to watch, right. you know, eight shows. This is, this is too much. So, and, and that's the second part that I'm working on is retooling podcasting as a platform of value so that we can operate in a, I think a postmodern structure where everybody can make money, including, and maybe most importantly, the people who bring it to you, namely the app developers. So I was adamant that whatever we come up with, that has to be a part of part of the value flow. Let me ask a question because when the deal went down with Joe Rogan, it's something that we talked about on Buzzcast was just how, hey, podcasters, we need to pay attention to what's happening in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took our podcasts off of Spotify because we were concerned about what we saw going on in the industry. But the feedback that we got was overwhelming from, from independent podcasters. They didn't understand what the big deal was. They said, hey, look, this, this is great for everybody. If uh, Joe Rogan's getting this massive payout to go to Spotify, why is that a bad thing for podcasters or for podcasting? And so can you maybe back up and kind of frame that from t- to answer that question of, why is that? Why is that a bad thing? Because if I'm on Spotify, that's more people that are listening to my podcast. Why? Why uh, would I be concerned with that? Uh, without fail, even what you send up to Apple to get included there, but certainly 
with uh, Google, Amazon, and Spotify, you sign a contract. And the Spotify contract is fantastic. It says, by clicking here, uh, you agree to give to us now having a full license, paid in full. You get nothing, but so that's it's paid in full, zero dollars, and we can do anything we want. And we can uh, cut it up, edit it. We can make new shows out of it if we want to. We can do whatever we want. And like, no, no, that's just a hard no. And people don't read. So they're like, oh, clickety-click, good, it's all good, I'm in. And, you know, they give some leeway. Oh, if you already have a host, a host read, that's okay. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. But ultimately, they're now doing pre-rolls, two pre-rolls and mid-rolls. So you get advertising in front of your show. Not all of them, but some will have them in the middle of the show. And I don't know, it depends for everybody. I personally, uh, I like ownership of, of what I do and what I do with my partners. You know, I mean, I'd never put it up on Spotify to start with. You know, there was like some, you know, they spam every podcaster and, hey, put your stuff in, uh, in uh, on uh, Spotify. So I go take a look and say, oh, it's already there, but it's not in my account. So I said, how is this possible? And uh, they sent me <laughs> to some website that said, uh, for a, a content legal copyright claim, well, I'll do no such thing. See, you, I'm not going to get into a legal argument with you. I'm not going to go through this form and sign anything. And two days later, they took it off. And I think that's because they're rolling out the ads and they know that if they had that there without my signature, that they were in violation. So they, they purged that. And I was quite happy. So I didn't have to go through any, any process. Um, I also am not so sure that Spotify as a podcast platform is going to be that successful. The reason I think that is the people who have been enjoying podcasts probably are different from the people who use Spotify. When I'm in the car or when I'm roving around or doing the dishes, whatever my, my secondary uh, thing is that I'm doing while I'm enjoying something uh, on my ears, it's podcasts. It's not music. I, and so I'm just not really a music guy. If I want some Spotify for dinner or you know, in the evening, or you know, and then I'll put it on, but I'm more of a podcast person. I believe people who, there's two different kinds of people. And the people who are listening to podcasts elsewhere may stick with that experience because it is an experience. If you're using Overcast, it's very different from Spotify in many ways. Spotify may catch up. I don't know. But I also know some of the numbers. The Michelle Obama podcast, which was purchased you know, in a Joe Rogan-like deal, I don't think for the same amount of money, but for a lot. Um, and they launched with uh, two sponsors. With Actually, it was Procter & Gamble. So they have Tide and Dawnie, uh, Dawn. Tide and Dawn. And I had heard that there was very low listenership. And I heard it about three days before Spotify announced, oh, this is so great. We're going to put it on all platforms. <laughs> a, a, a cry for help saying, oh, crap, we can't deliver the audience we sold this to the sponsors for. So they have a problem delivering the audience. They may have the audience. You can get it. You can buy Joe Rogan's audience. Will they stick around and listen to other podcasts on that platform? I think they still have to prove themselves. So I'm not so sure. But to answer your question a long roundabout way, I have been independent. I have not uh, had to adhere to anyone except my partner, John C. Dvorak, on No Agenda, all my other shows. It's whatever I want to do. No one can, can take me off. No one can remove my feed. It's just... As far as I'm concerned, Spotify is a radio. 
That's it. It's, you know, and, and they want to charge me, you know, or not basically charge me by saying, we own this. We can do whatever we want until you don't like it anymore. Well, okay. I don't like it now. Now you did say that you're not a music guy and I just want to back up to the MTV days. Did that ruin it for you? (laughs) (laughs) Kevin and I, Kevin and I were talking about before, before we got together, like I remember Headbangers Ball. Like I remember setting up the VCR to record at my friend's house because I didn't even have MTV and I'd have to go get the recording to go watch it. And Kevin goes, you just wonder, like, I wonder if he even liked the music that he was listening to or if he just had to, like that was just the job they gave him. Well, good question. So first of all, I I lived inside the hits for, you know, the eighties and nineties hits for a long time. And I definitely got burned out on it. You know, and, and because of the radio stuff, I, kn- I know every single song. I, I know the intro. I know when the vocals start. I can't sing any of the lyrics because I'm always queuing up another record. So I know how it ends. Um, <laughs> Headbangers Ball was, I really liked it for a number of reasons. One, uh, it was something that I, I looked the part. So, you know, I just had to throw on a leather jacket. But what I found out really quick is this is t- most uh, metal and certainly stuff we played is top-notch musicianship. I mean, really, really good. Um, yeah. Like, classically trained good. And and that I always got off on that, and I love that. And whenever we had guys coming by, yeah, of course, you'd have the, the occasional one that is zonked out or crazy or whatever. That's part of the, the world wrestling uh, idea of, of metal and headbangers ball. But most of these guys and gals were real. And I always enjoyed that. And when, I, when they understood that I understood the music and and the composition, and I do know a lot about that, um, we found each other immediately, and I had no problem listening to, to metal, uh, or most of the stuff. In fact, what I hated about Headbangers Ball is that because of MTV being afraid of alienating people, every third video was Bon Jovi. Anyhow, it's like, uh, okay, so that was kind of lame. You know, you can't be, you know, having Metallica and then Bon Jovi after that. <laughs> it didn't make sense. But for, you know, for the, for whatever their reasons were, that's, that's how they did that. So, and I actually, I took a roundabout way after uh, when I got more into well, the internet, after I left MTV, um, I started listening to a lot of classical kind of detox just from everything. And uh, when I moved to, I moved to Texas. I really got, you know, I really got into country, modern country. And by the way, it's a lot of the guys from the hair bands in the '80s who were playing uh, drums and bass and guitar for some of the, you know, for some of the big country guys. So I, I love listening to to talk, whatever it is. I can I can probably listen for a while. So I think we had a good conversation about the idea of open versus platform, right? And the the downsides to the platform is control. You got to play by their rules. They could pull the plug on you at any second. You're building whatever you're building in somebody else's you know, playground. Right. Right. But there's also benefits to platforms. And some of those benefits are like the the ability for a platform to uh, improve the listener experience. Like if they control everything kind of soup to nuts, right? Like that's an easy task for them or discoverability. So you're already listening to this. Hey, and we know all this stuff about you because you signed up and gave us your credit card and told us where you live and told us how old you are. So you're probably going to like this too. Like they can help recommend things Mm and building those algorithms, building those listener experiences. That's if we want open, if we don't want people to go to platforms, 
that's what we have to compete with, right? Like that's why YouTube is winning the video space, right? Because they've created a great environment to be able to discover and find and enjoy video content. So how do we do that in the podcasting space? And, you know, I'm kind of leading into this discussion that I want to have about these, these new namespace tags that we're developing, because I think that's what we're trying to bite off is how do we improve the listening experience? How do we bring some of these technologies that traditionally have only been developed in platforms, but we can do them in the open space if we all work together? Okay, so here's my experience uh, over the past uh, 15, almost 20 years, is that podcasting is typically long form. You know, rarely is it a five minute, 10 minute podcast. Of course, they exist. Lots of people enjoy them. Half hour shows, but I think they're in general a little bit more long form than your typical YouTube video. And so I don't think a recommendation engine, I see, you know, Apple is working on it and Spotify is working on it. Yeah. Okay. You know, but you, it's not the same thing to sample a podcast versus a YouTube video. And YouTube is, is pretty well defined what that format is in general, um, just for the, the quick hits. And, you know, and yes, when you're in a, in a YouTube hole and you're looking at cat videos, you want more cat videos. But that, you know, a podcast is, it's just a whole different animal. And I find the recommendations, and we've never advertised, never, never done any of that, is mouth to mouth. Well, we really turned it around from the get-go. We said, you, our audience, you're not listeners, you're producers. So you better start producing. And that means you need to send us money and you need to send us information and we need to be able to rely on you and if you have expertise. So we've made it, uh, unlike radio, where the only feed, well, I come from radio when you get mail. I mean, I had an MTV when I had mail bags, mail bags full in my dressing room. That, that was the feedback loop. Then, you know, on radio, we had the telephone, but it was kind of like, hey, you're caller 100. What's your name, Shaniqua? Shaniqua, where are you calling from, Brooklyn? Bro- you're caller 100. You win. You know, that's kind of the, that's kind of it. And maybe you troll the phone lines during a song and talk to some listeners, but there's really no, there's no, really no, uh, no feedback engine. And now I think for YouTube, you see, you know, comments is, um, is a big place for, for that immediate feedback, by the way, of which the people who make those videos own nothing. That's all Google, Alphabet, YouTube. They own that all. I mean, how many times you like, oh, this would be a cool video and it's gone, taken down, removed by user, you know, doesn't exist, violated terms of service. The experience is getting worse. And it's nothing to really little to do with political bias. It's not brand friendly. Advertising is censorship. So with with podcasts, it's really the tribe that you build. And the tribe around you, and it doesn't, what I've learned is it doesn't matter how small or how big that tribe is, if you can communicate with them and you give them enough ways to talk to you, sure, email, sure, you can have forums, comments, whatever. We have a, a chat, which we call the troll room, but we have many ways for people to feedback. We, and we also gave away all our data, everything we have. So we have four search engines. We have, you know, just unbelievable amounts of promotional sites that do something specific for the show, about the show, all put together by our producers, our audience, and it is a totally different beast. I don't think it can be recreated in any manner like that in any other medium. It is very specific to podcasting and that format of programming that it's, to me, it's, I think we'll see better things coming from the podcast apps to help. And a, and a podcast app also has an audience. They, you know, they have an identity. Uh, it's not shining right now, but 
why wouldn't a, a, a podcast app uh, be able to do deals with a podcaster and promote their podcast? You know, this is free market. None of that is enabled. And now comes in the namespace and the expansion that we're putting in place for podcasting. And what we, when Dave and I started, Dave Jones and I started on this journey, we said, let's just see what everybody wants and let's not have a big meeting about it. We'll put it into the document, which, as you know, all of a sudden, smart people show up and know how to write the document and put it in the right format and everyone's collaborative. And, and it turns out there's really no issue. The only thing is Apple's not in the conversation or Spotify's not in the conversation. Well, they clearly don't care about us. So why don't we make our own space the way we want it to be? And what I've seen from captions to transcripts to ratings to, I mean, it goes the list goes on and on. All these things are great. And everyone has one or two specific ideas they want to implement. Well, let's put it all in. And if you have something working, you're definitely in. It's, it's good to go. Because this is going to create a, a Spotify as a podcast experience is boring. It's boring. It's the same crap we've seen for 10, 15 years. It's nothing new. It's an inbox. You know, now I got Podfriender where you can swipe left and swipe right. This is, I mean, that's a, that's a funny app. It's like, I'm, you know, it's like just, oh, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm scanning podcasts the way I would, well, I, not anymore, but the way I might have back in the day on Tinder. You know, there's cast coverage, which is a whole different discovery mechanism by itself. But I've seen, Guys who are working on chats that will incorporate the podcast. I mean, this finally we have been able to open it up, and it feels to me. I just see this this flood, this rush of uh, of a decade of pent up um, creativity and ideas and frustration is just like spewing out everywhere. We've been doing this for a month. Look at what's happened. I mean, we've got a lot of you guys. We got uh, Blueberry from the hosting side. Was it um, Fireside FM? Fireside, yeah. And the uh, the Captivate guys came in there too. Yeah, so Spotify can say they show a lot of feeds, but where is it coming from? It's coming from guys like you. And that's where the innovation is going to come from. And we have a front row. Well, I can tell you, we've been, we've been excited when we found out about Podcast Index. Uh, like you said, it was... Uh, there was a lot of pent up ideas. We had tons of ideas, things that we would want to be able to bring to the podcaster listener experience, like what Kevin was talking about. And we don't have, we as, as a host can't do it. We have to do it in partnership with other hosts and with, with players, with the people that are actually going to be playing the podcast. And so right. what you've done for us and the, the reason that we are big supporters um, big supporters in our time, our treasure, exactly like what you've talked about. The reason that we are we we have that mentality is because we see the opportunity there to rapidly innovate faster than any one company can do um, by doing it together. And so I'm I'm really thankful to you for for putting that group together and excited, you know, to be able to play a part. Well, thank you. Um, the the thing is, is that I first of all I'm correcting a mistake. Uh, I had no idea. I didn't understand the mistake I made, but I think I went through it. It's like I never thought about the radio side of it. Also, never really thought about the actual transmitter tower side. That would be an example of you guys, uh, you know, depending on what metaphor you look at or uh, what model, because it can vary and it can interchange. I think that a lot of people have tried very hard 
to get these things done. And uh, to be blunt about it, all we really saw were groups and uh, boards and governors and all kinds of official titles and fundraising. And, and I'm like, and, and, and Dave Jones, who I've been working with for 10 years on, we've been, we've created so many cool things that have, that no more than eight people use. And, and, and we've only met once in our life, but we've had this great relationship. And it usually goes like this. Hey, Dave, Dave, i got a great idea. He's like, okay, what are we doing? And then, you know, and then within two days, like, okay, I got it working. What is it? And then we're like, oh, this is cool. And then I'll wind up using it for myself. He'll use it for himself and it goes nowhere. But when I saw Joe leaving to go into, you know, to go into Spotify and I, and I saw what was potentially happening with Apple as the mothership, I said, Dave, we have 10 years of aggregation experience. We know how all of this stuff works. We know how gnarly it can be. Let's just, let's just put this together and then let's just wait for people to show up and whatever they want, we'll do. And the only reason I think that we are getting away with it is because of who I am. Not, I don't have any skill really. You know, it's like Dave Jones is really doing everything. He, and he's, educating me as much as I educate him, probably a little more. For some reason, it's like, oh, it's not going to shit on the podfather. So great. So no one really shit on me in public. So let's just run, 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 run before they catch up. You know, let's just yeah. do it all. And I think it's the spirit. And that's what I see with Todd and Blueberry. That's what I see with you guys. That's what I see with Martin from Denmark, who showed up and you know, listened, because of course we do podcasting 2.0, a podcast about what we're doing, the same thing we did 15 years ago. And he's listening. I'm like, yeah, we should have a web app, progressive web app. Well, boom, there it is. <laughs> Become this hive mind of, you know, that we have people who are experts in database, which Dave is fantastic, but we don't know everything. This stuff's religion. So people are really collaborating. And I, I've seen it happen so many times with open source software development. It's really beautiful. Um, and people coalesce, and, and it's, it's just as much science as it is art. You can get to code in so many ways. And I've, I'm not a coder, but I can see it, and I understand it, and I, and I actually do see beauty in it. But there's, there never was a political agenda because Podcast Index is there for one reason only. It is to preserve podcasting as a platform for free speech. I hope to bring personal stuff into that and offer many more things uh, of value that would be valuable for everybody. And you will see if it works. It's, it doesn't really matter because ultimately podcastindex.org just has to run by itself. I find it refreshing and very exciting. I'm 56. Not a lot of people get a chance to, uh, to do something again in the mid 50s. So I'm super excited about it. And I can't, I can't believe it's only been a month. I mean, we have three tags that are like namespace tags that are completely accepted, formalized, and have support for at least one or more apps in the space. So we have transcript tag, which is supported by Buzzsprout Podcast Addict, Podfriend, Pod yep. and Pod News. The lock tag, which helps prevent um, piracy, podcast piracy. And we really need Anchor to jump on board with this one. But so far, it's been Buzzsprout, Pod News, Podcast Index. And I thought I saw somebody else today. Didn't Fireside say they were going to do it? Fireside. Is coming out too, and then we have funding. Well, what I like about it because obviously it's the honor system. I mean, this is not like it's not like some Gestapo comes down from the digital heavens and arrests you if you import a, a, a feed that has a blocked uh, tag enabled in it. But it does allow us 
you know, someone whose feed has been uh, imported into an anchor to say, excuse me, you see this over here, this blocked. I mean, we're basically, we're giving them an out. Yeah. Right. To anchor that they (laughs) marginally deserve. I feel like we solved their problem. (laughs) Yeah, we solved their problem. We'll support this. You know, so anyone who comes along, you know, all you have to do is just reject it. It's easy. And, and it'll save them so much aggravation, human, actual human resources. So they'll do it. I'm sure yeah. they'll come around. Otherwise, you, just, you know, if someone is importing your feed, you say, look, here it is. It's got the lock tag. I see you don't support it. Um, but clearly that's telling you something. And it's a starting point instead of just, yeah. hey, hey, uh, I think that's mine. And uh, let me prove it to you. Let me ask this, because uh, I know... I don't know if we're going to have enough time to to get into monetization too much, but I wonder, you know, you've, you've been around the internet for a long time, right? You remember when internet met free, anything on the internet was free. If a book is on the internet, it must be free. It's totally legal for me to go download it and do whatever music. If it's on the internet, it must be free. I can just download it. It's for me, right? If it's, if it's on the internet, it's free. And that mentality continues today of, everything being free, whether it's, oh yeah, Facebook doesn't cost me anything. When Now we're starting to learn that it does cost us something. And I feel like this kind of relates to your value for value. It's recognizing if something has value, you're paying for it one way or the other, right? Like there is a cost associated with that. And I wonder if that, if the mentality of internet equals free, if that is going to make it, if that's one of the challenges that we face as podcasters creating uh, content that it's valuable. Uh, it costs money to produce. It costs money to host and to deliver. W- one of the obstacles to monetizing uh, or to being able to afford to do that is this mentality of, well, it's on the internet. It must be free. It's on Spotify. I can download it. It must be free. You know, I can just download it with a podcast app. So it must not really cost anybody anything. How do you respond to that? Like, how do you how do you get people to understand, you know, this value for value approach that I know that you've had um, in the No Agenda podcast and you've talked about in Podcasting 2.0? I'll start with that first. The value for value concept started about 11 or 12 years ago, probably almost the, probably close to 13. When John C. Dvorak and I were doing the show, we were doing it on a regular basis and it was taking up real time. And we said, hey. This just takes real time. We love doing it. We see there's people out there who love it. You got to send us something. But instead of saying saying five dollars or you know making up some arbitrary amount, we said whatever it's worth to you. So I would literally say, just listen to us for an hour. What is an hour of your time worth? Was it that value? Did you get anything out of? It? If you did get anything out of it, please don't send anything. And there's no penalty. You can listen whenever you want. If you're listening then you clearly find some value in it. If it's a dollar, send that. So what, you, what we found very quickly is people are happy to send $5. Some actually will send you 50, and there's always a couple who will send you 500. That's a mind-boggling experience. And then you learn very quickly that if you remind people that this is an outstanding product, it, you do have to make good product. A lot of people will never make money because it's just not good enough. But I believe that even if 10 people love your podcast, they will, be, they will sustain you. You just have to say, I, I need an X amount to get by, and this is what I need. And if you don't do it, then I have to go find something else to do. It's not begging. It's value for value. It's, it's interesting. I think the most abhorrent thing I hear to, for me to hear is someone who I respect as uh, an interviewer, a host, a personality, whatever it is, 
to all of a sudden break away and do some bullcrap spin about some product, you know, they don't give a crap about super beats. Fine, whatever. You know, that to me is insulting. That's really insulting. I'm not against advertising, but I did find that the nature of podcasting is incompatible with advertising. And I don't mean Tommy John. I don't mean Squarespace. I'm talking about brand advertising, Procter & Gamble, uh, BMW, General Motors, pharmaceutical, big advert. That's where your money is. Otherwise, you're just stirring around in little pieces of poop. If we're serious about it, we're brand unsafe by nature. And there's no way for anybody to go through every single podcast to make sure that nothing offensive was said. And you know where we're at. It, advertising is now being used as a weapon. And that's the cancel culture. It's, it's because someone doesn't like you, we go after your advertisers. That's it. Not because mm -hmm. of what you say necessarily. It's just a wedge. It's a tool. That's why advertising is censorship. It took me eight years and $65 million to learn that it didn't work in podcasting. You can't scale it. It's not interesting. And, and what you wind up doing is plastering a whole bunch of ads over mediocre content. I want no part of that. Understanding that people need to be paid, you really have to think in a, in a postmodern way. So value for value is not restricting your access, not gatekeeping what you can listen, what I'm doing, but reminding you that what I'm doing is valuable and making the friction for you to get something to me as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Now let me talk about the landscape because I've thought about this and I'm not ready to talk about everything, but there's a, definitely a strategy in mind. So about 3% of the No Agenda audience supports it financially. 50 to 60% support it with time and talent. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a large part of people who just, we don't know what they're doing. They're not doing anything. They're not contributing. They're just hanging out fine. So... The time and talent of, so of the three value for value, time, talent, and treasure, time and talent, that's making the show. And where appropriate, people get credited as a producer. Most of them want to be kept anonymous. But people get a huge kick out of hearing their information being used. And that's how it should be. They are putting the show together. I mean, we're so great. What, because the XVJ is so good? No, man. I'm just jocking away. I, I can pick the hits. I can put it together. I can make it flow. And I've learned a lot along the way, but it's really the producers who do that. Now, the treasure part is people who, it turns out, numerologies, they want to send a message too. So they'll send a, a number, 333, $69.69, .69, meaning I want to get laid. Um, 41, the mo you know, the 42, the most important number in the universe. On Pi Day, it's $3.14, $31.41, $314. And we, of course, re, you, know, you can find out exactly how much money is coming in. We give you the amounts. We tell you who sent it. And people have a message and they have something to say. I love you. Uh, I love my husband. Happy birthday. Or, wow, man, that really affected me. Or I had my kids listen to this. Or I actually know what's going on with this. So it's, a, it's, a, it's another feedback loop. And it's copyable. It's not that hard to do. So... We know that people are willing to do it, and that's about 3%. I think 1% is doable for anybody. 1% of your audience should be able, you should be able to have them support you financially. If we look at the IAB numbers, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, which who knows, but let's just say there's 100 million people in the United States who listen to podcasts. On average, they listen to one hour a day, seven days a week. So value an hour. At $1. So we have 
100 million people, 1% of that is a million times your dollar an hour is a million dollars a day of people willing to give their money to podcasts they listen to. I think that's an interesting market to start with because once you got them, then, you know, you can just $1, $1 per hour. That's a lot of money. And I think we can, I think we know how to go after it and it's going to make it frictionless. It, it will ultimately start with a better proposition than what we are offering today. Spotify thinks that music is a better music and podcasting is a better proposition. I believe we can make podcasting more exciting, better, much more interactive. Some of the stuff I'm seeing talked about, about sending, having chapter markers being sent back into the database for distribution. Now now you're getting something interesting. Now people are also able to contribute in some way to, uh, to the program, even though it's not directly in the program, they're doing something, they're adding something, they're adding value. So my dream uh, you press a button and you've got MP3 bits coming one way and there's some money stream going back the other way. And it's not one-to-one. There's a couple other people in that loop. And uh, I think we're going to be able to see that in the next, uh, well, we got to close out this first namespace. I'm uh, going to f- freeze that down and, you know, get as many people on board as possible. Um, and, and I mean, the, the uptake has been really fantastic. And it's like, it's like things fall in our lap all of a sudden. Spotify kicks off for so-called QAnon podcasts. Well, I've listened to the X22 podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so offensive. Please, why wouldn't someone put together a conspiracy theorist podcast app that just is that? <laughs> why not? Why not have the Godcasters do their own beautiful app just for each individual religion? I don't know. It, it, it doesn't all have to be a big library of you can, sure, you can search, but you know, there's reasons why uh, I think app developers and ex- who are creating experiences can promote a certain something that, you know, they are also promotional people. They don't need to promote their wares, but I don't want them doing it for a stupid banner ad. I want them to be in the mix. So I'm going to have to back the ATM up to this puppy and show everybody, and then maybe we'll, maybe something <laughs> will come out of it. You know, that'll, <laughs> maybe something fun will happen. But I cannot thank you enough. As when uh, when Dave told me that you know you guys were what you guys were doing first of all and how it made so much sense, you really jumped in and it's that's really been incredible kind and the blog post that that really helps uh, and it's going to get us somewhere. It's really going to get us somewhere. Yeah, that's our hope. That's our hope. Hey, does Travis ever say anything? Or you just make him sit there. Oh, he can talk. Come on, Travis. The mic's on, right, buddy? Oh, I love to talk. So. <laughs> I'm, just I'm, just, this. I'm just looking at Travis the whole time. Like, does he say anything? So, so here's uh, something that I think will be really helpful for the average podcaster that's listening, that's trying to figure out their place in this conversation. Because a lot of the conversation gets elevated to the Joe Rogans of the world and the NPRs right. of the world, and it's like the one percent seems... of the one percent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it becomes like an untouchable conversation, right? And so I think the the thing that I would love to hear from you is the developing, and I know this is an overused word, but developing the intimacy between hosts and listeners mm-hmm. and the downstream effects of investing in better listening experiences, uh, both from a index side, from a host side, from an app developer side, to make podcasting even more special than it already is, to then 
really help you know drive that narrative of podcasting is not about getting the hundred thousand subscriber play button from YouTube, but it's about connecting really strongly with a handful of people that really love what you do. Um, so I just love to hear kind of your vision for how you're hoping Podcast Index and Podcasting 2.0 is able to bring that to life in the future. Well, you nailed it, Travis. Um, you can't, just like you can't make a great uh, code writer developer, they are. Not every person who's doing a podcast, you know, is going to be great. In fact, a lot probably will be pretty me- mediocre, as as you'd expect. Personally, I think the, the, the jewel for podcasting is in understand, and that's the podcast. It's not really a technology issue. It's does your, do you listen to your audience and what's your takeaway? And, you know, I mean, I give everybody, everyone gets some form of answer on the email. You may be macroed by me to do thanks, but I meant it and I sent it. Um, <laughs> but in general, I really think the audience needs to be a part of the production. That's not appropriate for a lot of shows that people like, Serial as an example. Um, and But I think, I personally find it a little bit boring. I want to hear the audience is a part of it, and I want people to think they're a part of it, even if they're not participating, or that there's the possibility to be a part of it through one of many, many ways. That's, re- that's really a, a talent, uh, and you know, that's nothing to do with the technology. It's how do you use this medium? We always use the new medium with the programming from the previous one. So, you know, it's taken a little while, but I think I've seen it all along is there's a different way to communicate with the audience and get them involved. Um, and they'll support it because it's about them. Now, in this case, I have a pretty broad topic, but I could do it for any, I could do it for helicopters uh, and stuff. As long as I know what I'm talking about, I could do about any topic and it would just depend on what my goals are. But I think, again, take that 1%. So if you have, you know, if you got a thousand people that are listening and you can get, you know, well, can you get 10 of them to listen, to, 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 to participate with finances and 40% giving you other things? I think, I think that's the magic right there. Um, it's like this. You, you're doing a podcast for your customers. I mean, I mean, why am I even telling you this? You you figured it out already. I mean, you are doing exactly what I'm talking about. This this is this is for your for your for your your community, your tribe, whether it's ten people or ten thousand. Thank you so much for for coming on and talking to our audience, and I hope that this helps uh, our customers and our fans understand what we're doing and and why we've invested so much time, effort, and energy into supporting the podcast index and working on this namespace and rolling out features that might not have necessarily been at the top of your list, but you know we see that they're important and they're important not just for Buzzsprout and for the Buzzsprout customers, but for the community at large and protecting the space that we all care and love. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're excited about. Adam, we thank you so much for kicking it off and for being the pod father and for your time today. Thank you. And and again, thank you so much for what, what you guys have been doing individually and as a team and, um, pay attention everybody. Cause this doesn't happen all that often where you get a whole bunch of people who just have some loose common goals working together and uh, and sprouts and trees coming out of it. Uh, and uh, anyone who's listening or watching can be an active part of that. 
So uh, we look forward to seeing uh, as many people come play as, as we can get. And thank you. Thank you.